Welcome to the After Magazine's podcast. I'm your host, Mike Bruno, coming at you from my home here in beautiful South Orange, New Jersey. Got a good episode for you today. We have Mr. Jason Adams, former colleague of mine. We used to work at EW together. Uh, He got a brand gig as editor-in-chief of Owned Media at T-Mobile. Yeah, those guys are good. It's actually me. I made that. Um, Jason and I go way back. We used to work together over at Entertainment Weekly. Uh, back in the uh, late aughts and early 2010s. Jason uh, left in 2014, uh, actually the same year I left uh, EW. I went over to Billboard. And Jason, since, after doing a little bit of a journey that he's going to share with us, taken a job, um, as I said, um, as the head of owned media at T-Mobile doing some communications for them. And he, he shares some of the ups and downs of the process of kind of leaving the magazine world. Um, it wasn't all, you know, huge paychecks and glory. Um, he talks a little bit about the importance of a network, how to kind of translate some of your skills from editorial over to brand. And I think there's a lot here, hopefully that uh, you can get something out of. So Apologize in advance for the sound quality, which isn't perfect. Uh, did this one by Skype. Jason is out in Seattle at T-Mobile, and as much as I love Seattle, did not have the budget. So did it by Skype. I think it's fine, but uh, just wanted to throw that out there. So without further ado, Jason Adams. I'm here with Jason Adams. How you doing, Jason? I'm doing pretty all right. How are you, Mike? I'm well. Thank you for asking, Jason. Um, so let's get into it. What do you do as editor-in-chief Own Media at T-Mobile? Yeah, so I have um, I sit in corporate communications um, and definitely have a communications job. Okay. But most of the people around me are doing PR. Um, and, the, you know, traditionally that's uh, getting earned media from you know, news outlets. Um, and then, you know, there's also a paid element where, you know, there's, you know, social promotions mm-hmm. and, you know, advertising and stuff like that. Um, and then this is, um, essentially a, a brand journalism initiative. So re- researching stories from within the company, um, that for an external facing audience mm-hmm. and the vehicle that I use for that right now is the T-Mobile newsroom. So it it sits along, you know, these stories sort of help shape a brand story alongside other media alerts and, you know, press releases and news moments, Mm -hmm. um, just to give sort of a more holistic picture of the overall brand and uh, not only what the company is, but who the company is. Um, And that's especially important to T-Mobile. So you have a similar history well we we have a a crossover in our histories of magazine you we have a shared history Mike. we have a shared thank you for (laughs) for helping me articulate and speak english um we are words people we we both worked at entertainment weekly i was there for seven years and 
Jeez, how long were you there for, Jason? And what were the dates? And let's go through your magazine history. I know that's where that's where we met, but you you actually go back before that with a couple other really cool gigs. Yeah, so I was at Entertainment Weekly for a little over eleven years. Um, the last I started there as a senior editor, um, got a couple promotions while I was there, and left as the executive editor or an executive editor. Um, I. I got um, sort of fell into my career a bit. Um, I moved to San Francisco after school, um, after college. I went to the University of Illinois down in Champaign. Um, and while I was in college, I freelanced for uh, the Daily Illini newspaper, which is a pretty robust publication. Right. I think it still is. And uh, I was doing you know entertainment features, and uh, a couple of my other friends were doing it. Um, so oftentimes I would go into the office late at night, um, you know, after having seen a show and to get it, you know, into the next day's paper. And one, <laughs> I was sort of, uh, you know, procrastinating as writers do. And uh, I was poking around my editor, uh, this guy, Rod O'Connor, who's still a friend of mine, poking around his desk because he was getting cool stuff. You know, he was get sent like um, swag and CDs and stuff like that. And so I was seeing if there was anything cool that I could steal from him. Um, <laughs> and there was a press kit that had come through. And so I looked at that and the press kit uh, was from a guy who used to go to Illinois, who had started a magazine in San Francisco and was basically putting on an open call for contributors. I had never been to San Francisco. I had no intention at that time of moving to San Francisco or being in San Francisco. Lo and behold, uh, a year and a half later, I find myself living in San Francisco, uh, having kind of followed my college girlfriend out west. Um, and at that time, I had put the guy's business card in my wallet for whatever reason. I have no idea. I don't know what was going through my head at the time and uh, pulled it out and gave him a call and went down to their sort of makeshift office, uh, which was inside it was, it was kind of like an empty corner in the San Francisco Chronicle office. Um, and this mag this magazine is called Might Magazine. And uh, one of the guys who co-founded it, who was the guy who went to Illinois, is Dave Eggers. And that kind of went, um, you know, this sort of pseudo-internship contributing editor thing. And I uh, started, you know, contributing sort of satirical pop culture articles and research to their magazine. And then uh, a couple years later, it turned out that I actually had something on my resume and things kind of took off from there. When you were doing the Might Magazine thing, was that something, I mean, did you think that was going to be the career? Was that like a stepping stone from the beginning? I mean, it's an awesome gig. I mean, that was kind of the, we all as, as writers, which I think even those of us who went into editing, we all, many of us started out wanting to be writers. That was kind of you know, one of the the dreams, uh, you know, what, what were you thinking or, or were you not thinking because you were young and you were just kind of like employed is, is better than not employed? Well, and it wasn't even employment. It was doing like, you know, I was in San Francisco and I didn't know that many people. I was working a temp job. I think, you know, at the time I was working like in a vault at Bank of America or something. It was pretty bleak right. and I just needed something to do. And actually my brother, um, who is a few years ahead of me, um, was already sort of establishing himself uh, as a writer, editor in New York, and was working at Media Week at this time. And he had done a story about uh, an issue that Might Magazine 
um, had done. So he actually kind of reminded me, hey, you know, remember that guy's business card that you put in your wallet? Right. Um, they might they might need some help. Uh, and they were definitely open to taking help. It didn't pay anything. So it was really no skin off their back. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it turned into having like an actual mentor um, who, you know, I mean, Dave Eggers is a genius. I think he's proven over and over again. And even at that time, you can see that he was just light years ahead of everyone around him, um, even though he's only a couple years older than I am. Yeah. And so when that magazine shut down, it kind of, you know, and a lot of the, the folks, and you know, Dave included, were moving off to New York to go on to another, you know, the next phase of their career. Um, my brother was in New York. I wasn't really having a great time in San Francisco. And I figured I have this one little thing uh, on my resume. And, you know, maybe I'll follow these guys to New York as well and see if I can make a go of it. So you so you moved to New York and you, with, without a gig necessarily, you just had your resume and... Uh... You were like the you, you you got off a bus with your suitcase and starry eyes and you were ready to go. I arrived in New York with about two thousand dollars in credit card debt or maybe more, <laughs> uh, three hundred and fifteen dollars in my savings account, um, and yeah, and a couple clips from this small magazine. But uh, knowing that um, there was this sort of uh, de facto group of people out there, um, and and Dave was. He was. He continued to be good to me. He helped me get uh, this amazing contributing editor gig at ESPN Magazine just after it did launched. Um, you know, paying like a real salary. Um, he gave me some opportunities to write for him when he was doing work at Esquire uh, and doing some research gigs. So um, it really my career just by virtue of you know getting on that flight um, and sleeping on a cot in my brother's studio apartment in Brooklyn Heights. Um, my career went from zero to, you know, 60, 70, 80 in a very short amount of time. And, and maybe you alluded to this and I missed it, but did you, did you know at this point, I want to be a writer, I want to be an editor? I mean, is that, or were you still kind of finding your way? Like what was the, and it, you know, sort of what was the thinking when you arrived in New York after the, the Eggers thing? You know, it was an interesting time because, um, it wasn't exactly writing that I was doing yeah. and it wasn't exactly editing. It was kind of like shaping funny content into like lists and, you know, having, you know, good kickers and display. And so I really learned how to do all these different sorts of, uh, you know, these sort of it's linear, but, um, non-traditional storytelling, um, before I really, you know, uh, got my act together as a writer and editor. Um, so it was really just kind of like a, it was just a creative job. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly journalism per se that I was doing all the time. It wasn't exactly writing. It wasn't exactly editing. Um, right. it was probably more akin to like, you know, being a, a copywriter. So there you are in New York, 2000 in debt. You got a spot on a couch. You got, you got a, a powerful guy behind you, but you're, you're trying to figure it out. So What's next? Where'd you, where'd you wind up? I did the ESPN thing for a couple of years and I think it was coming to a point where either it was, um, they wanted me to come on full time or they were going to discontinue this particular contract. Um, just, you know, the way they were kind of structuring things. I 
didn't see myself working at a sports magazine full time. You know, I, at the time, I remember thinking like, oh, my God, they, they could make me the, the hockey editor if they're, you know, it's a headcount <laughs> problem. Um, and that definitely would not have played to my strong suits. Uh, I was, was not even a very good hockey player when I was a kid, um, the Oak Park Eagles. Um, and so I, I took some time off. And, I, you know, at that time, there were a lot of these freelancing opportunities, a lot of, you know, um, uh, press trips. And so I went on a press trip to go mountain biking in Copper Canyon in Mexico uh, for a story that I think I was going to do like a front of the book piece for men's journal or something. And while I was there, my uh, answering machine, which was actually an answering machine at the time, um, I, I came back to some messages from this guy, uh, Craig Marks, uh, who is a, a very well-known um, music journalist and editor. He, he, I think he just took a job at the LA times. He is. He's the new music editor at the LA times as of like last week. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but he, you know, he's been around for a long time and he's really well known. And so I was like, well, that's a cool call to get. And, um, Dennis publishing, which, you know, had been known for making a huge sort of breakthrough in both the UK and then the U S with the, you know, that sort of lad mag formula mm-hmm. wanted to do a music magazine. And I was like, man, this is, this is right up my alley. It's, you know, it's humor, it's music, it's, you know, so I worked there for a couple of years and loved it and had an awesome time. And, you know, taking this thing from not existing to, you know, winning some awards. Um, and then an opportunity, um, I saw, I saw an opportunity, um, when there was a change in editors at entertainment weekly. Um, and, I very aggressively went after a job there, and then that's where I worked for the next 11 years. What made you go for the EW gig so hard? I remember when I was back in San Francisco, um, it was, you know, I think Entertainment Weekly launched in about 1990, so this is a few years into it, but Dave Eggers really, really loved the sort of the the wit and the smartness of it and um and so that always sort of stuck in the back of my mind it was like oh this is already like pre-approved by my uh you know sort of one of my original mentors um and there were a lot you know it was a it was a big staff i mean you remember you started not too long after i did i started in 2007 yeah and you know there were people like uh you know who were kind of in this dave universe, you know, Tim Carvel, who went on to The Daily Show and now is the executive producer of The John Oliver Show. Um, just, uh, you know, Gillian Flynn, who, you know, needs no introduction. Yeah. Um, you know, there were a lot of really, really talented, creative people there putting out, you know, what is kind of, you know, speaking to, you know, people's, you know, hobbies and interests outside of work, you know, it's in some ways, sure, it's kind of light fair, but um, it was just another extension of kind of already being in this kind of creative universe where I felt like I would have a lot of opportunity to, you know, um, as the I, I went to be the front of the book editor um, or co-editor. And uh, I just saw the, you know, it was sort of endless opportunity. Um, and after I had a few conversations with Rick Tetzelli, who's the editor, and then Henry Goldblatt, who uh, would become another important mentor to me, um, there was almost limitless uh, appetite for 
doing new things and almost limitless resources for making them happen. And that was pretty attractive to me. So you're there, you go through 11 years and the time came and you could tell me, I think we're, we're up to then 2014 or 15, give or take, right? 2014. So it's 2014 after 11 years and you you left EW. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. How did that come about? What was the decision? And, you know, what is it that you want to share about that? Yeah, there was, yeah, it was a kind of a confluence of things came together at the end of 2013 and the beginning of 2014. Um, one, uh, the editor-in-chief, uh, Jess Cagle, um, who I liked working for quite a bit, was leaving. Um, and so that meant a new editor would be coming in and, you know, it wasn't really clear at the time that I made my decision, um, who the person was going to be. And, um, also the company, you know, was being spun off from Time Warner and Time Warner is a great company to work for. The future of Time Inc. itself seemed pretty uncertain. And I think we saw that play out over the next few years. Um, uh, and, I just felt like, you know, like 11 years is a long time yeah. to work somewhere. Um, and I I don't think I'd ever anticipated I would have worked there quite so long and worked there through, you know, um, you know, the, the huge economic downturn and, you know, the Great Recession. And I mean, and those were terrifying times, too, as you know, advertising was gone. And, you know, that's my office overlooked uh, the Lehman Brothers building. <laughs> and so it was just like every day, you know, and we, we worked pretty long days. So, you know, you'd see it turn into night and, you know, the, that famous Lehman brothers, you know, sort of ticker sign is on and all the lights are on and there's just sort of paper everywhere. And, and it's just kind of like a ghost town. And, it, you know, it was a stark reminder of just how bleak times were then. And, you know, just kind of, it directly, you know, it directly impacted, you know, we were going through the same thing where it was like, oh my, you know, I don't know if we're going to survive this. Um, and much to Jess's credit, uh, he made some adjustments and uh, the magazine did survive. Um, Henry Goldblatt was leaving to go work with Jess at People Magazine. Um, and so it was just kind of, you know, the breaking up of like the people who uh, were there and who helped, you know, guide my career over the last, you know, several years. Um, and so it just seemed like kind of like the right time to try some new things. Um, and so I, did, you know, we picked a, a date, um, which then moved a few times as there were adjustments, uh, and, uh, somewhat ironically, uh, my last day was April 1st of 2014. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, that was it. And it took some time off, which was actually a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be, you know, kind of enjoyable. And um, I went out to L.A. and, you know, had some meetings with people and then came back and was planning on taking this trip to Italy. And and just the separation of that sort of day to day grind that I've been going through for years. Just it not being there, that sort of, you know, that noise and that freneticism I was used to. It it was really hard to adjust to that. Um, yeah. So I really, I spent several months just kind of adjusting to, or maybe even grieving, I don't know, no longer having this job that I thought I was in a strong position, you know, ready to take some time away from. Um, 
and then started doing some uh, some some branded work freelance and um, got a couple of really great opportunities. Uh, my friend Nina Wildorf pulled me in for this really awesome um, project at Airbnb. So I actually went out to San Francisco and you know worked out of their office for a few weeks. Um, and so it was just kind of getting more of this um, while still doing some traditional writing. And, you know, I did end up doing a cover story on Bobby Flay for Entrepreneur Magazine. And um, but also focusing on using these very similar creative, you know, all the skills that you learned um, in sort of magazines and publishing, um, interviewing people and, you know, coming up with, you know, creative solutions around things. And so in a lot of ways, I was doing stuff that really spoke to the the stuff I learned early on in my career that again, I'm not exactly sure if it was journalism or editing or writing or, um, but it was creative and it was shaping and it was research and it, um, uh, and so that really came back around at, you know, the sort of blueprint I had created um, early on in my career ended up becoming pretty handy. And then um, that kind of, you know, after a, some freelancing and working with a lot of different companies and people and groups um, mm -hmm. ended up getting this opportunity at T-Mobile. Um, and so took the opportunity, uh, which is a great opportunity and has proven to be, um, and moved out to Seattle about nine and a half months ago. Yep. So real quick, so let's back up. So you, you leave, you, you take a little time off, there's that mourning period, but then you get into some branded work. And I think this is what I really want to talk a little bit about because in the After Magazines group, obviously, it's a lot of folks that leave either on their, on their, by their own choice or not. In either case, you know, whether they think, hey, I'm going to go get another job in media or not, they end up saying, I need to make some money. It's obviously a thing, and you're in the After Magazines group, that's why we're talking, where there's a lot of people either in the branded space or trying to figure out how to crack it. And I think a lot of folks are that uh, they find it quite challenging, either telling their story in that way, or you know, or or figuring out even just how to do it and and, and where to look. So I'm just kind of I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit about how you went and made that transition, and you know, what do you think were some of the things that you did, or some of the things about you as a candidate or as a professional that enabled you to to find that work um, somewhat early on, or, or or at least you know after that kind of period of of travel. Yeah, I would say first and foremost, it was, you know, people who, be it through, you know, a friend or word of mouth or who gave me some of these opportunities. Um, you know, I did some work for this uh, sort of original content that Outbrain was doing called Sphere, um, and that was pretty cool. And those are good clips to have, um, I guess, if you still call them clips, um, things yeah, in yeah. my portfolio. Um, and then I'd mentioned, you know, my friend Nina Wildorf, who, you know, was ahead of me in, you know, re getting out into working, um, doing this sort of, you know, this more branded work or, you know, working for platforms that aren't traditional sort of publishing platforms. Um, and then, you know, very generously pulled me in to, you know, Airbnb, you know, is a pretty high profile place to, um, you know, have on your resume as a, you know, having done work for, um, there's also, you know, sort of a, um, you know, like take something like, you know, you know, people throw content strategy around all the time. And I think a lot of times, you know, uh, people are like, Oh, well I'm no longer an editor. I'm a content strategist, but 
that term you will find means a million different things to a million different places. Um, you know, you might go into a company and they're like, oh, well, you know, you're just here to write guidelines for, you know, um, customer acquisition. It's like, oh, that's not what I thought customer right, you know, right. content strategy was. Um, and so learning not only the the work or applying, you know, my you know, skills that you learn to these sort of new mediums, media, I think these are mediums, um, but also just learning sort of the lay of the land. And it's like, oh, there's a thing called brand journalism. Oh, this is, mm -hmm. you know, what a content strategy plan is. Oh, that's the difference between content marketing and, you know, um, kind of what we're doing with, you know, our owned media initiative. And, you know, it's, there's a lot of navigating um, and it's really like, sort of like a, a real life graduate degree to a large extent. Um, it's also expensive. You know, it's expensive to change your career and to no longer have um, the the kind of paychecks coming in that in some form are probably no longer going to come in for a lot of people, but they used to come in and you get used to that. And now it's like to do this career pivot, um, it's almost like, you know, your savings becomes, you know, tuition, um, which I certainly found. Um, I think, you know, other people may have different experiences, but, um, you know, making a career life pivot in a direction where you think, you know, there's still, or there's just growing opportunity even, you know, um, down the line, it's, it's not easy. So it definitely a lot of it is, and Jason, one thing I always know about you is you definitely, you're, you're a charismatic guy, you know, a lot of people and you, you keep that network going, which is great. And that's something I think people need to you hear about it a lot, but I really think you can't stress it enough, especially in a time with the pivot and a time in an industry like media where, frankly, there's a lot of work out there, but you know, you kind of need to know someone like you're, you're not going to be able to just go on indeed.com and find someone looking, you know, for content marketing strategy, um, as, as a part-time thing, but you might find someone to give you a gig here and there. Networking is a big part of it, but I mean, you, you also hit on brand journalism versus the content marketing versus the owned and the rest of it. And, you know, I don't think we need to necessarily go right now into de defining all those things. Cause as you sort of point out, I think they mean different things at different places. But what I would love for you to kind of talk about a little bit from your experience is as someone that was a creative, um, an editorial person at, at a, 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 I mean, EW was a, a publication. It was obviously journalism, very good journalism um, in the entertainment area. You know, what was it about that, that kind of, you know, if someone's sitting listening to this right now thinking, well, I did that too, but I don't see how it relates at all to that stuff. Like, you know, what are the things that you loved that were able to kind of translate to this? And like, what were some of the things that were more challenging in kind of translating over? Yeah, it's not, I think, or at least I thought at the time, you know, it's like, oh, I have a resume and there's a, a one for one, like here are my accomplishments and, you know, here, look at them, you know, look how nicely I formatted them into a resume um, or, you know, look how great my LinkedIn page looks. Um, and then you expect it's like, okay, I put my shingle out. I'm open for business. And it's like, <laughs> mm, it doesn't really work that way. You know, you're not a small town lawyer. Um, and, uh, and oftentimes, you know, people with all the skills in their background, have completely different terms for what it is. So you could be someone coming from the military and it's like, no, you're, ex 
essentially like a high level project manager. It just was, you know, your projects were, you know, military related, but mm-hmm. that should translate directly into a project management job at a place like, you know, T-Mobile or a large corporation. It's just all that language is completely different. And so you almost need a translator. Yeah to help you figure out what the actual, what the right words are. Some of that translation for myself, I learned kind of on the fly, I mean, through failure too, you know, going in and talking to people about jobs and like them just staring blankly uh, (laughs) at me while I'm talking. And um, then other times uh, people, you know, being sort of generous and being like, oh, hey, I'm a little bit ahead of you here. Um, With your background and what you do, uh, use these words or, you know, tell, explain to people that this is what you do. Yep. Um, and so that was helpful. I think, you know, having a generosity of spirit, um, helps you receive generosity as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, having that network and those friendships, but also, you know, somewhat relying on someone being, you know, generous and then helping, you know, keeping, Helping to keep that karma wheel spinning, um, I think, is incredibly important. It's a, it's an interesting line. I think it, it's almost like you need to kind of have, and I think most people would say you should have more than one resume, but you really do need to have more than one resume, and maybe one or more sets of lingo and ways to describe yourself. You almost need to have two LinkedIn profiles. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have, you know, um, or, or recall, you know, when I was going around and you know, I wanted to get back to working full time. Uh, I have, you know, in my notes section, you know, on my phone, I have complete paragraphs that I've like copied and, you know, pasted to save for later because I wanted to take it off my LinkedIn page that day. Or, you know, I was like, I really liked the way I wrote that intro, but it doesn't apply for these three months. Um, so it's, you know, that's a great thing where I think, you know, resumes, while they're still part of the currency, they're becoming a little bit more passe, or at least your resume is starting to look a bit more like your LinkedIn page. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that LinkedIn, you know, that's a, that's an ongoing, you know, piece of clay really, um, where I, I think the more you kind of update it and shift things around and see the way that other people are updating and, um, you know, even just, you know, the, so the sort of the things that people were writing a couple of years ago, you know, keynote speaker and ebook author and stuff that doesn't seem to be speaking to, you know, the 2019 times exactly. Um, I think uh, you need to definitely, you know, take care of that um, yep. as much as you take care of any other. It's because it's both, you know, a social media network, but it's also, you know, um, sort of, you know, the the sign on you know, the building that is your brand. Yeah, that's right. Is that something that you see from where you're sitting um, as something that's kind of being broken down that 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 the kind of world between journalist and brand journalist or whatever nomenclature you want to use, that that's kind of breaking down or I think, yeah, kind of, you know, the, the opportunities that have either, you know, come my way or that I've sought after do kind of speak to that, that very hodgepodgey kind of background that I, you know, have had and really was, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, the stuff I was contributing at might. It's like, it's kind of journalism, it's kind of research, it's kind of mm-hmm. ad copy, it's kind of, you know, all over the place. Um, and it's certainly for years, I never would have called myself, you know, like a journalist per se. Um, 
but I th- yeah, I think you do. Each person's story is, you know, individual. While while it might be similar, you know, I've, I've met people, you know, out here, who whose resumes and LinkedIn um, profiles look similar to what I have done or my background and the pivot I've made. Um, but that's a story you kind of need to figure out for yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're if you are a story teller or you know you're claiming that on yeah. um on your linkedin page well you should have a pretty good handle on your own story as well um and i think i think that that is that is an element that people are lacking it's like you, your resume isn't a list of bullet points Agreed. of uh places you've worked it should be a narrative of how you got you know it's a hero's journey right and mm-hmm. it should you should start from a place that is relatively humble college mm-hmm. first job um and it should get you to a point where um you know it it adequately tells the story of where you are in your career now um and all the sort of interesting or many of the interesting sort of story or plot points along the way um which it, i definitely had a hard time figuring that out um you know i, I was sending my resume in for things and people are like i don't even understand this like what you're a magazine editor and it's like oh. um, yeah. so it's it, it took you know a lot of help from a lot of people um a lot of talking yeah. to people and having you know leaving sort of uh interviews you know crestfallen because i wasn't exactly getting it um and taking notes on that and just sort of you know relearning my own story to a large degree so while we're there and before we before we finish, I, I definitely want to talk a little bit more about your current role. But while we're kind of there in terms of the learning experience part of this and um, what sounds like, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I'm, it sounds to me like what you're saying is it was a bit frustrating and probably um, discouraging. How long was that period for you? And, 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 and what, was, what, what was kind of going, what were you going through then? Was it, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of people... You know, there's a lot in, in, in a future podcast, we're actually going to talk to some people that, that get into specific, um, you know, when you're going through career pivots or any kind of kind of professional and personal change, how you kind of keep your spirits up, because I think that's a big part of it. And I think a lot of people say, hey, I've been doing this for 30 years and now the market's telling me it's no longer valuable. You know, none of that's really all that that helpful. You have to kind of take that and say, well, how can I turn some of that into positive energy? But you know, I think it's also relatable and something that a lot of us deal with. So I'm just kind of curious when you were in that period, kind of how long did it go through and, and what was going through you and, and what helped you get through those periods? Because, you know, you can't just sit there and, and fire off a resume every five minutes to get you through it. Sometimes you just kind of have to say, all right, I got to burn some time here. So how did you get through it? Again, um, sort of the generosity of people, you know, so people, you know, offering you work or, you know, um, seeing value in what you've done. Um that helps you know keep you afloat keeps the lights on too yeah. uh which yeah. <laughs> is also good for your uh your head but um during the you know the 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 hardest parts of those times you know like let's say you're getting a bunch of work and it's great and then it kind of dries up and then it's like oh my god it's like summer's coming and no one is assigning any work um and so then it's like four months of just you know complete quiet um that's when you really, you know, you need to reach out to your personal networks and whether that is your trainer or your partner or 
your siblings, your best friends, until you find people who really can, you know, I, I have a pretty seemingly low key sort of demeanor externally. Internally, you know, I'm just, you know, always, you know, completely anxious and, you know, a real anxiety, ball of anxiety. Um, so when you go and, you know, it comes in my voice, like, hey, I'm having a really hard time. You know, like I, I'm really, you know, I'm not feeling great. I could, it kind of doesn't, I'm not selling it. It, it doesn't come across, you know, with quite the, you know, my intent is to give a hard sell and, you know, get some help. The urgency may not be immediately apparent. To exactly. Um, yep. Yep. So I think finding people who actually can help you be heard um, and whoever that is, you know, it doesn't have to be a therapist. It doesn't have to be a life coach where there could be those people. Um, but it could also just be, you know, a friend who isn't normally a voice piece or a, a mouthpiece for you. Um, that I think was pretty much the most important, you know, cause that's where you get your support and that's where people will be like, Hey, you know what, let me take a look at your resume and you know, Oh, Hey, I'm seeing this and that. And you told me this in conversation and, you know, people are um, keeping you accountable in sort of the best way, not sort of forcing you to do things that you're uncomfortable doing, but maybe reminding you and helping you shape the, you know, that story that I was talking about, you know, your own sort of personal journey. And, um, you know, oftentimes um, you need that kind of, I think in Dave Eggers' uh, first book, A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius, uh, on like page 298, my name's included with 10 other names of pretty successful people who are also going through After Magazine things. Uh, Chris Harris, who, you know, who's a big Hollywood uh, TV writer, uh, worked on How I Met Your Mother and worked on Letterman, Nancy Miller, who you know has gone on to win um, a couple ASMEs uh, as the editor-in-chief of Good, and I was doing some other work. Um, Larry Smith, who, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I think, um, you know, the, the whole six words platform, um, which is a different kind of storytelling. Um, but he referred to these people who come in and out of the office as uh, his lattice. So the lattice is what sort of supports everything that was happening at that time. You know, people sort of uh, pitching in and, uh, you know, d doing work without, you know, at, at the time, you know, being paid. Um, and I think figuring out that sort of lattice work or that lattice in, you know, sort of your your own life is important to making sure that you, you know, you keep above the fray during those difficult times. So you you found some work, little Airbnb, a little other work branded. You it eventually leads you to this job. You are the editor in chief, owned media at T-Mobile. I I definitely want you to talk a little bit about like some of the storytelling you do there. What's it like? What are some of the cool things you do there? What what you know? What about it makes your heart sing and is kind of tapping some of those things that you were looking for and find fulfilling or you know or, or or not i'm just kind of curious in terms of the actual work that you're doing and what it entails yeah well this is where the you know the sort of the 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 gumshoe aspect of having a journalism or you know editorial background was helpful because this was a brand new job it didn't exist so there wasn't really a blueprint for it and so when i got there um i was kind of a you know a department of one within a larger department but sort of had, you know, carving out this unique position or a, a position that was unique to well, both me and the, the department and company, frankly. Um, 
And so I was going out to get answers from a lot of different people. And so meeting a lot of people. And so, you know, using, you know, sort of network skills and, you know, research skills and all these things that you, you know, should be doing in your career, I was able to apply into this microcosm of my new job. Um, and it, you know, it's, there's, there's been a range of them. Um, you know, we found some kind of cool employee stories to tell. Um, and, you know, but I, in my mind, I'm essentially using that formula that I learned in entertainment journalism to write a rock star profile of someone who mm-hmm. you know, might have sort of a, a regular nine to five seeming job. Um, but everyone or most everyone is interesting and has interesting stuff to tell you know, once you scratch the surface and then you have a follow-up question and then they give you sort of an Easter egg in that conversation and you're like, hey, let's dig a little bit deeper there. Um, you know, I interviewed a guy who is a coach in one of the the call centers um, at T-Mobile. And at first we're talking and then he mentions that he's 6'6 and weighs 400 pounds. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Um, so now you have a visual. And then he mentioned casually that, oh yeah, and he also uh, has, you know, for the last several years um, after getting out of the military, uh, played semi-pro football. It's like, oh, well, that's sort of an interesting Easter egg. Mm-hmm. And then we just kept going. It was like, oh, well, yeah. And I also like a, uh, a barbecue master because I have a degree from La Cordon Blue. And it was just like, whoa, that's exactly, those are the same details you would have hoped for for any magazine feature you would have written. Yeah. Uh, and so it's really sort of applying my background to this new situation, um, which, you know, has... I think been met with some success, just figuring out all these different levers that a company has for you to pull and figuring out ways to, you know, um, sort of apply these stories and, you know, to you or me, it's like, oh, well, that's kind of like a blog post. Oh, that's kind of like a listicle. Oh, that's kind of like a feature. Um, that's a front of the book item. That's, um, and there's a lot of opportunity, um, out in the world to use those skills that you have uh, again just figure out how to translate them so they're not so they're positives right leveraging what you've already known and what you've done to be able to be successful in something that is different on the face but at the core you're telling stories and you're sniffing out good stories and you're kind of ushering a conversation towards good stories yeah, not fully, but I do think that, you know, each individual person can help remove some of the bias that they may face, you know, knowingly or unknowingly from someone else when they head into these new situations. Do you miss the magazine world? Um, sure. Well, I mean, I don't I don't really know what the magazine world per se is like right now. Um, I certainly have fond memories of my time in it. No, I think fondly of the time and I was uh, that I had, and I was very fortunate to be given um, as much rope in my career, uh, you know, creatively as I was given. Um, you, I, I think, unless you like are really dogged about something, like I'm going to be a TV writer, or uh, you know, and it's really clear to you, and you really have those skills, and you know, you've kind of been working on it, you know, for a long time, you know opportunities are going to change year to year. Technology changes year to year. You know, all the, you know, there are things that you can't control, including opportunity. Um, and so there may be more opportunity tomorrow than there was yesterday. Um, and it just may be, you know, now's your time. 
Um, so trying to keep a positive perspective on that as well, you know, 2017 doesn't really look like 2019 and neither will 2020 or 2021. Um, and so just, you know, just as much as you're stealing yourself for change, uh, also, you know, keep yourself open to opportunity. Okay, Jason. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Um, it's 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 a you you have an interesting story and it's a happy one. I mean, you wound up in 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 a great place. You made the pivot, and I, I think that there's a few things here between the networking, the figuring out how to tell your story, and you know, networking both professionally as well as personally. I think like being able to get through some of the times, um, you know, career personal. I think there's a lot here for for folks to uh, folks to be able to latch onto and hopefully to help them. Um, forward themselves. So thanks for taking the time today and uh, congratulations again on the new gig. Thank you very much. And um, I would say, I, I hope the conversation is somewhat helpful to someone um, just because again, getting help in whatever form is really, really important during those times of pivot. Um, and so, uh, you know, if in any small way or even to one person, this conversation is helpful, um, then I I'm, will be really pleased with that. Well said. Thank you, sir. All right, man. And that'll do it for the second episode of the After Magazine's podcast. Thanks again to Jason Adams for sharing your story with us. Uh, That was great. And thank you for checking it out. As I've said before, I want to hear from you. Send me an email, brunoaftermags at gmail.com. That's in the show notes as well. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know who you'd like me to speak to next. That'll do it. We'll see you next week.